0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, April 23rd, 2023, from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. All right, um, before we get going, I have a couple of questions I'd love for you to answer out loud if you have experienced this. Number one. Does anybody know what it feels like to get overwhelmed? Your life goes sideways, something happens, you weren't planning on it, and it's not that you can just automatically cope with it, you feel like, I have no idea what to do, I wish I could just disapparate, just with a loud crack, just be gone. Y'all know how that feels, right? Okay. For those of you who do know how it feels to be overwhelmed, do you ever have the response of just like completely falling apart? just utterly dismantled like in those lego movies just like i'm just reduced to pieces uh, by the way when you are overwhelmed that's actually that's actually why you cry It's the body's response to being overwhelmed is to cry. Sometimes you're overwhelmed with joy and you cry happy tears. And sometimes you're afraid and you cry those tears. And sometimes you're super sad and you cry those tears. But that's your body's automatic response. And sometimes your body is getting rid of certain kinds of, you know, toxins and stuff like that. Crying can be really, really good for you. So don't feel bad if you're one of those fall apart people. okay? because you're not alone, number one. And number two, it's apparently good for your health. So that's good. Okay. But there's another category of folks who get overwhelmed. Maybe you're in both of these. That's fine. But does anybody else, when you get overwhelmed, feel like, I'm just going to pull myself together and I'm going to figure out how to fix it? I'm just going on the fixing rant. I'm going to problem solve. I'm going to make this work. Don't worry, everybody. I'm here now. I'm going to fix it. Okay. so. We can all get on the same page. Maybe you're, one of, maybe you're all three of those. It just depends on the time. Like, I get overwhelmed. I freak out, and then I fall apart, and then I pull myself together and try to fix it. Great. We're going to get into all that. But before we do, I want to give you a little heads up for what we're going to be doing in here over the next few weeks. In these weeks after Easter, I would like to zoom in on some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. How did Jesus show up? Who did he show up to? What did he do when he showed up there? I want to look at him because to me, they're very curious. What I mean by that is, if I had been Jesus and I had been raised from the dead, I'll tell you where I would have gone first. I would have dunked on Pilate. I would have gone to the governor's house and dunked on him and been like, What now? Wash your hands of this. Um, Then my next stop is if I had been Jesus risen from the dead my next very next appearance would be I would go to King Herod's house and I'd be like I'm taking that chair homie you don't belong in that that's my chair I'm the king I'm back deal with it next stop stop number 3 on my little tour of dunking on people is I would have gone to the high priest's house and I would have been like I'm the high priest now hand over the robes and the keys you're done you're fired like, that's what I would have done. If I was Jesus, thankfully, I'm, <laughs> I'm not Jesus. As John the Baptist said, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. But when you think about what Jesus, Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't, he didn't go to Pilate's house or Herod's or, or to the high priests. When you look at what Jesus did and where he showed up, all of those things were like just really quaint, quiet, like bizarrely normal things. He's cooking breakfast. He's on a walk with some friends. He's having a fireside chat. Like, these are really, really normal moments. The reason I wanted to look at him is, I think that a lot of us would love for Jesus to show up in big, flashy ways in our life, right? Right? We would love for him to show up in a way that's undeniable that everybody has to see it and deal with the fact that Jesus, God Almighty, God the Son, is risen from the dead. We would love for him to show up like that. But he doesn't really do that. He shows up quietly. He shows up quaintly. He shows up in these really bizarrely normal ways. I want to look at those those moments and realize that In a lot of ways, what Jesus did is what he continues to do now in our lives, in your life and mine, okay? So, Jesus is risen from the dead. This is the new normal. Here we go. We're going to look today at the first time Jesus showed up to anybody, the first person that saw him risen from the dead. Her name is Mary of Magdala, or Mary Magdalene. That's all that means, Magdalene. It just means she's from the village of Magdala. And before we crack open John chapter 20, before we deal with any of it, we have to do a little housekeeping, And that is because forever people have said a lot of stuff about this lady that just isn't true. And we need to clear, we need to just just clear the the decks real quick, okay? Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, okay? People have always said that the whole time, and she just wasn't. In fact, in old dictionaries, if you look up the word Magdalene, one of the, the definitions will be a reformed prostitute. And I got to think she's sitting up in heaven going, I need to talk to the editor of that dictionary because that was never me. And here's what's happened is people have always gotten three different women from the New Testament kind of confused and just jumbled them in their minds into one person. Okay, Mary from Magdala, she's one of them. There's an unnamed woman in Luke chapter Seven who gate crashes a dinner party. and in her gratitude for for Jesus rescuing her from her sins, she pours oil on his feet and anoints his head with oil and just just completely loses it in love and gratitude for Jesus. And by the way, he loved it right back. And we do not know her name. In fact, guys, this is pretty cool. There is In there's never in the New Testament, anybody with a compromised sexual history, we never get their name. Their anonymity is always tenderly and compassionately protected. And one of the cool things about that is, is that the Gospels were written and then distributed, copied and sent all around to churches while lots of the eyewitnesses who lived these things were still like attending and worshiping in these churches. So how sweet of it was the whole, was, how sweet of it was, was it, how sweet was it, can I say this? How sweet was it for the Holy Spirit to direct the writers of the Gospels to protect the anonymity of these, of these folks? Very, very cool. We never have the name of anybody with a, with a uh, compromised sexual history in the New Testament. Number, uh, the, the third person that they confuse is Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, who lived in Bethany, who during the week before Jesus went to the cross, also poured a very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, anointed Jesus as a way of honoring him for his burial because she may have been the only person on earth who listened and understood that Jesus was not going to be in that tomb for very long. He had been telling his followers for six months that he was going to be crucified and on the third day rise again. And she was like, I've been saving this for Jesus' burial. I better crack it open now. Those are three different folks Mary Magdalene, the only thing we know about her, she was not a prostitute, she did not pour oil on the feet of Jesus, anything like that. The the only place the Venn diagram crosses over for all three of those women is that they all had a relationship with Jesus. That's it. But Mary Magdalene was a person who had seven demons that Jesus freed her from. Now, my guess is that not a whole lot of us have had an experience like that where our mind and heart have been just kind of in a way, taken over by a spirit that wants to do us harm, that wants to take us out. That wa- but I, my guess is that in similar ways, you have had voices in your life that lie to you and try to make you feel terrible about yourself, kind of like those spam texts that you get that just try to make you afraid, you know? There's a problem with your mortgage. There's a problem with your cell phone plan. And you're like, what do I do? No, 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 don't, don't do anything to it. Just ignore that thing. But she had been in this situation. Jesus had freed her from it. And then, in a, what is a beautiful example for everybody that follows Jesus after that. She's basically started following Jesus around and didn't leave his side again and also supported the, the work of Jesus. She was apparently a woman of means. So Jesus saves her, gives her her life back. And she decides, I freely and fully, fully give it right back to him. And that's always the pattern, y'all. Jesus has saved me. He's given me a new life. I freely and fully give it right back to him. She started following Jesus. I'm guessing because after he kicked those voices out of her heart and mind, she's like, I've just got to stay close to him. Close to him is where I have peace. It's where I have quiet. It's where I can really be me. And so she just started following him around. She's paying for everything along with some other women who supported the ministry of Jesus. And then that horrible night where everything went upside down. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was accused. He was humiliated. He was tortured. He was sentenced to, to death. And then he was taken out to the cross, crucified. And one thing we know about Mary is she was there. She was right there. When so many of Jesus' friends had turned tail and run, she was still there because close to Jesus was the safest place in the world for her. And then he was gone, he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea, another person of means, had asked Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus down. And he and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus to a tomb that Joseph had just, you know, he had just finalized a real estate deal on maybe that day. And he's burying Jesus with Nicodemus. And it says in the Gospel of Matthew that she was in that graveyard across from where the tomb was, carefully watching where they were. And then she just stayed. After they left, she just stayed. The next day, some of the Jewish religious leaders asked if they could post a guard so that you know, Jesus' followers couldn't steal his body and say that he had risen from the dead or whatever. So when the, when the soldiers came and, and took guard over the tomb, then she finally left to, to do one last act of service, one last moment of financial support for Jesus and purchasing a bunch of spices that they were going to bring back and anoint the body of Jesus with, kind of like an embalming type of thing. So she comes back on early on the morning of the third day, and that's where we're going to pick it up in John chapter 20. Here we go. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this letter, and said they have taken the lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him so peter and the other disciple started for the tomb both were running but the other disciple outran peter and reached the tomb first you got to love dudes he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in then simon peter who was behind him arrived went and went into the tomb He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I have to believe that Peter and John over the years have been telling a different version of this story of the third day. And so... And so John is like, I've got my chance to to enshrine this in scripture, in the canon of scripture. I'm going to settle this once and for all. Three times he tells us, I'm faster than Peter. (laughs) Just guys being dudes. I saw this thing this this week where archaeologists had uncovered a 300 pound stone that had ancient Greek carvings in it. You got to think, man, we found this amazing stone. We need to get a, you know, a, a scholar in here, a Greek expert to come read this. Maybe it's going to, you know, uncover some long hidden thing of, of wisdom or, you know, philosophy that's been lost. And so they bring in the Greek scholar and they're like, what does it say? And the Greek scholar goes, it says, Bibon son of Fola, could lift this over his head. <laughs> dudes rock, man. Just, just guys being dudes. Okay, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated, one at the head, or where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I've not yet, which is, this is great. It, he, John goes straight to the words of Jesus because as soon as she said Rabboni, she tackled him like a linebacker going through the A-gap on a, on a called blitz. So Jesus is like, whoa, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. So we found out one other thing about Mary, which was she was the first commissioned preacher of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. The first person sent to tell anyone else that Jesus is risen from the dead was a woman. How about that? Church. Okay, let's just deal with that for a second. Okay. Have whatever feelings you need to have. I didn't make it up. Okay? So... So here we have this situation. One thing that's really cool is when you read this in the Gospel of Luke, the angels added another question. So they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And then they asked her another question. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Okay, so let's go back for a second. It's early on the morning of the third day. It's still dark. The sun has not come up yet, and she's going back to the tomb. And we know that she was with some other women, and they're thinking, how are we going to move this stone? Those stones weighed like two tons. They would cut a trench in front of the mouth of the thing, and they had a, you know, a stick that would hold it open so they could get the body in there, pull the stick, and then that stone just boom, rolled and shut the tomb, sealed. And they're thinking, how in the world are we going to move this? And I love the way this translation says it. When she got there, she saw that the stone had already been removed. You know, my entire life, for 40 years, 40-something years, some, 40-something, don't worry about the details. For 40-something years, I've always imagined the angels getting there and just kind of like, urgh, like huffing this stone out of the way, you know, and, and then I realized when I was thinking about it this week, It just says the stone was removed. They're angels. What if he just grabbed this thing like a frisbee and just chucked it across the (laughs) graveyard? It's like nothing to an angel. Now I'm imagining it like, you know, like flying across the graveyard and then landing on the ground like a quarter when you drop it on a hardwood floor. Just like spinning and then... (laughs) That stone is gone, baby. No longer to be of any account. She goes in and she sees... What is unmistakably like the the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where the bloody body of Jesus had been laid, there are two angels sitting on top of that stone. There's no way she doesn't think about that. And so she's thinking about that, and, there, and, and she's falling apart. So she's, she's, she freaks out, runs into the city. How far was it? Was it a mile? Was it a mile and a half? Who knows? But she finds Peter and John, and she's like... <sighs> They've taken his body. I don't know where it is. Come, let's go. So they go. They all run back. John gets there first. We know. We know, John. Whatever. So then he looks. He sees. He's trying to understand it. Peter runs in there, and he sees it. Then it dawns on John what's happening, and they leave, and they just leave her there. And that's when we find out she, she's freaked out at first. Now she just falls apart. She just starts crying, and these angels say, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I think that's a really good question. I mean, from Mary's perspective, it's like, well, duh. What do you mean, why am I crying? The most wonderful person ever is gone. And I was just going to stay here. I just needed to be near his body. Near his body is the only place I have peace. It's the only place I feel safe. And now his body is gone. And are you kidding me? Why am I crying? Why would you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking here? And then she hears another voice saying, why are you crying? She turns around, and if you could picture this, I don't know if the sun had come up yet. Maybe the sun was kind of inching its way over the hills or whatever. Maybe it was just barely coming up. But in between the sun and Mary is Jesus, and she can't tell it's him. Maybe he's a silhouette. I don't know, but she's like, look, I don't know where you put it, but wherever his body is, just tell me, and I will go get it. She freaked out, she fell apart, and now she's going to fix it. Just tell me where his body is. I'll get it. No big deal. If I have to do it by myself, I will. She's still short of breath from running this, however long it was, now twice. And finally, Jesus says, the most beautiful sound in the world. By the way, when, when someone loves you like no one else has ever loved you, and they say your name, that's the most beautiful sound in the world. I've got a name that only Christy calls me." And when she says that word, it's the most beautiful sound in the world. When someone loves you and they say your name, there's nothing like it. And he said, Mary. And then she's like, you're joking. Like, what? You're, you're back, and instantly she did, just darted through the a gap and crushed him. And then he says, and and this is her newest fix, by the way. I would carry his body back. I would take it back, and 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 now she's like, now I'm just gonna hold on to you forever. I'm never letting you go again, because right by you is the only place I'm safe. It's the only place I feel at peace. And he says, no, no, this fix is not gonna work. And you're like. But that's the advice I would give anybody. If you're having a hard time, just hold on to Jesus, baby. That's what you need to do, just cling to Jesus. No, apparently that's not good. That's not a good enough fix. Why? Jesus said, here's the deal, I have not yet ascended to the Father. I know you don't understand this, but if I go up, then somebody else gets to come down. If I go up, then the Holy Spirit gets to come down and go into the heart and mind of everyone who believes forever and ever. So Jesus doesn't crash Pilate's house. He doesn't crash Herod's place or the high priest. He just shows up to the, into the moment of a hurting woman. And what Jesus did is what Jesus always does. But I have a question about this. And my question is, why all this running around? Why all this stress? Why all, this, all these tears? Like, Jesus, if you're back, just show up immediately. You know she's going to, like, just show up. Why do you make her go through all this? And I think that the answer is, is that even though Jesus is risen from the dead, and even though he's around when we don't even recognize him, sometimes I think he's got some questions that we need to face. Why are you crying? Do you know what you're upset about? You know why you think you're upset. Well, they took the body of Jesus and I don't know where it is. No. Take a minute. Do you know what's wrong? Do you know why you're hurting the way you are? I think that's a really good question for all of us. When I was, uh, a lot of you guys know this, when I was 22, my parents broke up. And um, Christy and I had just been married for six months. And, you know, we did so much like walking. You know, my dad through that time and just all these, you know, all the details. And then, you know, after a while, both of my parents got married and, you know, we started having kids and everything. And I thought we've dealt with this whole thing. And I remember it was like 10 years later. After my parents had broken up, Christy and I were driving to, you know, we were driving to Knoxville to go have a date or something. We're going down I-40. We're probably going to Stir Fry Cafe. It's like so awesome. We always go there. So we're probably going to Stir Fry Cafe and we're listening to this playlist of of songs by a songwriter called Rich Mullins. And he he had a song that he wrote about Christmas one time. It's called You Gotta Get Up. And the chorus is, you gotta get up, you gotta get up, you gotta get up. It's Christmas morning. And... Christmas was always a really big deal in my house, and Christmas morning was a huge deal. I was one of those kids that woke up at four in the morning, and my parents were like, do not get anywhere near us until it's at least six, you know, and we would push that as hard as we could and everything, and then they would always go back to bed, but like Christmas morning was so happy, it was so joyful and everything, and I was the kid that was saying, you got to get up, you got to get up, you got to get up, it's Christmas morning. So... Um, We're driving down I-40 and that chorus hit and there's no other way to explain it. I just fell apart. I just fell to pieces and I realized that 10 years in, I have like, like when my parents broke up, my heart broke and the pieces were still falling and I hadn't processed it. I hadn't dealt with it. I didn't even know what was wrong with me and I don't think I'm still over it 20 something years later. And so I think it's a very good question when you're running around and you're overwhelmed and you're having a hard time, why are you crying? Don't answer. Take a beat. Take a minute. Stop running. Stop talking. Why are you crying? Do you know? Have you phoned a friend? Would you talk to a counselor? Do you know what's got you upset? Maybe for Mary, the correct answer wouldn't be they that taking the body of Jesus, I don't know where they put it. Maybe the correct answer would look something more like, I am afraid that I'm going to be alone again. I'm afraid those voices are going to start chirping in my head again. Maybe that would be the right answer. I don't know. But do you know what it is for you? Do you know why you're crying? Question number two. Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, what is it that you do to cope with the way that you were hurting. Do you know? Do you know what you think is going to make you feel better? And then have you ever actually done the evaluation to see if it actually works or not? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? That you have certain things that you do that's like, I don't know if this is a fix. I know I think it's gonna make me feel better. I don't know if it always works. I don't know if I've been brave enough to inspect it or to even ask that question. Do you know why you're crying? Do you know what it is that you do to fix it? Is it working? You know, I have a theory, and this isn't exactly in the gospel. I'm going to suppose something a second, so don't hang your theology on it, okay? We're just going to suppose for a second. But you know how Jesus wasn't there at first? Like, I mean, in my mind, I've always pictured him like, what is he hiding behind the tomb while Mary and the guys are like running around? Like, where is Jesus this whole time? There's all this running. There's all this looking. There's all these questioning, all this stuff. Where is Jesus? You know what my theory is? Jesus had left that graveyard. He's done with graves. He's done with death. You're not going to find Jesus in a graveyard. You're looking in the wrong place. Here's the thing, though. You might not find Jesus in a graveyard, but if you insist on going in a graveyard, he'll find you there. He'll come back. He always comes back for tears. He always shows up for hurt. Do you know what it is that you do to cope with the way that you feel? Do you know why you feel the way you do? Is it working? These are important questions. And I think that if we take the time with those questions, if we take some friends with us into those questions, if we get the help that we need for some of those questions, then you might realize somebody's been there the whole time. Somebody that would call you by your name. So she tackles him. This is how I'm going to fix it. I'm just going to hold on to Jesus as tight as I can. I'm just going to hang on to him. And he says, no, this is not the fix. I've got to go up so the Holy Spirit can come down. Here's the problem, Mary, with your fix. Your grip isn't very strong. And I know you think you're going to hold on to me really, really tight. But your grip is not that strong. And this right here where you're holding on to me, it's not as close as I want to be to you. I've got an iron grip. And I want to come even closer. I want to go all the way down into the heart of all of that pain you have. And all that stuff you're afraid of. I want to go all the way down into the weird ways that you think when you get overwhelmed, when you freak out, when you fall apart. I want to be all up in all of that. I'm coming in closer. I'm going to go up so the Holy Spirit can go down and then I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be all down in your heart and all in your mind. I want to be closer and I am going to hold you. I know Jesus is here for us in quaint and quiet ways, even when you don't recognize that he has shown up. He's here and he's got words to say, but first he might want us to look at some questions. Do I really know what's going on? Do I know what I do to cope with it? Am I willing to get quiet? Am I willing to take time to hear him call my name? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you want to come in closer. That you want to be the one holding us. Because when our grip isn't tight enough, we need a stronger grip holding us. I pray for everyone in here who has stuff that they need to figure out. Who needs to stop running. Who needs to get quiet enough to hear your voice calling their name. Would you come in closer? Would you hold on to us? It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: What a fellowship, what a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting arms What a blessedness, what a peace is mine Leaning on the everlasting arms